Well, Boker Tov, good morning. Welcome to everyone. Glad you're with me today. Hope you're having a beautiful day. Hope you're having a uh, fine morning, enjoying the beauty of being alive with Hashem and having this opportunity to gather together and to study Hashem's Holy Torah. want to thank everybody for joining me today. It's a blessing and an honor and a great privilege to be with you today and to be joining with so many people from across the Fruited Plain. Baruch Hashem for all of His grace and mercy and His guidance. Isn't it great to study together, to learn together, and to grow together? Yes, it is indeed. Baruch Hashem from uh, the East Coast to the West Coast, from the border of Canada to the border of Mexico, and uh, actually across the world. We have people who watch from everywhere. As we always say, we greet everybody. So glad you're here. We are in Parashah Pinkas today. It is uh, the um, the fourth day of the week. Therefore, we are reading the fourth Aliyah of Parashah Pinkas, which is found in the Book of Numbers, the Book of Bamidbar. We are in chapter 27, the Pasuk, the verse of this uh, Aliyah begins with Pasuk uh, 6, 6. In uh, Espanol for our Sephardic friends. And so that would be Numbers chapter 27, verse 6, where we're going to begin with the laws of inheritance. And today we'll be reading about the laws of inheritance and then transitioning into a Shem choosing a successor for Moshe. So let's read. And then as uh, as we read, we will uh, study the por- portion and, of course, ask a Shem to infuse our soul with the light of God's holy Torah. And so the Pasuk begins, Harunai said to Moshe, saying, the daughters of Zelophahad, speak properly. You shall surely give them a possession of inheritance among the, bro- the brothers of their father. And you shall cause the inheritance of their father to pass uh, over them. As it says, And the children of Israel you shall speak, saying, If a man will die and he has no son. You shall cause his inheritance to pass over to his daughters. If he has no daughter, you shall give his inheritance to his brothers. If he has no brothers, you shall give his inheritance to the brothers of his father. That would be his great uncles, of course. If there are no brothers of his father, you shall give his inheritance to the relative who is closest to him of his family, and he shall inherit it. This shall be for the children of Israel a decree of justice as Adonai commanded Moses. Zivadonai Moshe. Et, et Moshe, Slika, not El, but Et. Vayomeronai le Moshe, Ale El Har, Haabarim, Haze, Ure, Et Haaretz Asher Natati, Leveni Israel. Adonai said to Moshe, Go up to the mountain of our Abarim, and see the land that I have given to the children of Israel. You shall see it 
you should be gathered unto your people. And so Hashem obviously had said to Moses already and to Aaron, Aaron's already passed away. You're not going to um, you're not going to be able to go into the land. But I'm going to take you to the mountain. And so Hashem in his grace was allowing him to see the land of uh, Israel, which by the way would have been supernaturally or supernatural rather, because you can't stand on a mountain at uh, that point and see the entire land. Just like it happened with Avraham, God said it took him throughout the land. It was supernatural. But Hashem in his grace and his mercy allowed Moses to see the land. And there's a lot of commentary here about Moses was trying to get Hashem to let him go in. But as we shared in a previous Aliyah from the Midrash Rabbah, that there was a reason why Moses ultimately was not allowed to go and it, and it wasn't because Hashem wanted to punish Moses, but rather it was because Moses, or excuse me, Hashem rather, was concerned for the souls who had died in Bamidbar, in the wilderness. He wanted those souls to be able to eventually enter into his promise. God is so gracious and so mercy, he said, listen to, he said to Moses, listen, you've got to die in the wilderness. Why? Because when you resurrect from the dead and your merit, the other people res- will resurrect as well. The point of that story is, is that Hashem cares about the people even when they die in the desert. And they died in the desert, remember, because of their lack of emunah, their lack of bitakon, their lack of faith and trust. Emunah is faith, bitakon is trust. All right, so it says in verse th- 13. Uh, you shall see it, and you shall be gathered into your people, you too, as Aaron your brother was gathered, because you rebelled against my word in the wilderness of Zin. In the assemblies strive to sanctify me at the water before their eyes. They, they were the waters of strife at Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. So he's just explaining to him, this is, what's, this is why you're not allowed to go in. Remember how you um, did not sanctify my name. Um, just a point of, of order here, not a point of order, but a point of, uh, of justice in uh, Gentile societies, and we see this unfortunately in our own day and age, where the higher you up on the you are up on the political scale, the more money you have, uh, whatever, the less likely you are to be brought up on charges. If you're guilty of something, you know you could be guilty of like a ten counts of uh, murder, ten counts of espionage, and uh, basically uh, everybody's going to look the other way. Why? Because you you're very wealthy or position of power, something like that. And whereas if you are not a person of power, you're not very wealthy, if you're just a common man, you could, uh, you could trip and accidentally commit a crime and then you'll go to, you'll go to prison for the rest of your life. Um, but not so in Judaism. Jewish law is such that those in leadership um, are held to the highest accountability. And so we see that here with, with Moshe. This is why Paul in his letter uh, was warning people not to be so eager to be teachers, which is really interesting because today, especially in this world of social media, you've got everybody in their little cat, I would say dog, but that's too often used, that um, is trying to be a teacher. Everybody's trying to teach something. They've been in Torah for five minutes, and now they have a website. 
And uh, it's just to be pointed out here that in Torah Judaism, those who are in leadership are held the most responsible. And so quite contrary to uh, to the way it is among uh, um, men outside of covenant, it's it's not that way within Judaism. Verse fifteen: Moshe spoke to uh, Adonai, saying, "May Adonai, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the assembly who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall take them out and bring them in, and let the assembly of Adonai not be like sheep that have no shepherd." Interesting use of words here. Because Moses obviously is concerned about the people. He's, they have caused him all kinds of grief. In fact, really, you could make the argument, he could make the argument that it's really their fault that I'm not even going into the land, although it's not his fault. M- Moses was not a millennial. So he understood that it was ultimately his fault. But he, this, this, he had every reason to be bitter. He had every reason to not really care what happened to them. Besides, he's going on to Shemayim, so who cares? But in fact, he does care a great deal, as every leader should care. And he wants them to have a leader. But it's interesting that he says, I want them to have a leader because I don't want them to be like sheep that have no shepherd. And that, of course, is exactly what the, the, the type of language that Messiah Yeshua used. That these people are like sheep with no shepherd. And he referred to himself in Luke chapter 10 as the great shepherd. That he was the shepherd of the flock. And not only that, but he pointed out there are other sheep that are not yet a part of the flock. Of course, he's talking about the non-Jewish people that will become part of the flock. In other words, they will convert. They will come into the fold and they will, there will be one flock and one shepherd. God's ultimate goal is not to have two separate people groups. This is why, again, forgive me for harping on this, but the concept of the Noahide, the concept of the Messianic Gentile is just a flawed concept at best. Why? Because it continues to perpetuate the idea that there are two types of people. There are Jews and non-Jews. And when God created man, he created Adam. He did not create Adam and Sam. And I'm not talking here about homosexual marriage because that's not even what I'm talking about. What I mean is he created one human being. And from that human being was supposed to come all the other uh, human beings that were, you know, divine in nature, holy in nature. There was not going to be two different kinds of people. The sages teach that Adam was born circumcised. What does that mean? He's a Jew. But through sin and through idolatry, another people group was created. But it's never been, God did not want that. He didn't want to have two people groups. So always wanted to have one flock and one shepherd. So ultimately, and and by the way, we see that with uh, the heart of Moses. Because let's not forget that the, the sages teach that when Moshe, when all the people in Egypt, rather, were going around collecting money, uh, as, as God told them to, by the way, but they were going around collecting the uh, gold and silver from all the Egyptians. What was Moses doing? He was going around collecting holy sparks. Because Moses interpreted when God said, go and collect all the valuables from the Egyptians, Moses, because of his redemptive nature, because of his, his uh, spirit of the Redeemer, his Mashiach spirit, 
He interpreted that when God said, go collect the wealth and the riches from the Egyptians, he said that to him, that meant souls. So he set about to collect souls from the Egyptians and he was responsible, the sages teach that he was responsible for the mixed multitude coming out of Mitzrayim. And so here when he says, let my people have have a shepherd, don't let them be like sheep without a shepherd. This is all inclusive. So verse 18, Adonai said to Moses, take yourselves Joshua, Yehoshua, Yeshua, son of Nun. Isn't, you know, it seems obvious, but it's worth stating that the first redeemer, the one who's going to die for the sins of Israel, think about it. What is Moses doing here? Ultimately, what is Moses doing? He is ultimately dying for the sins of Israel. Even when we talked about just a moment ago, this is good, by the way, you should pay attention. We said a minute ago that he's, he's really ultimately, Midrash Shabbat says he's dying. He's going to be remaining in the desert. Why? Ultimately, so that the other people who died in the desert can go into the promised land. Ultimately, in other words, what does that mean? It means that his death in, in, in the uh, wilderness, his death that prevents him from going into the uh, Eretz Israel is precisely for the express reason of bringing others into Eretz Israel. In other words, he's dying for their sake. And it's interesting to note here that the one who is dying for the sins of Israel, so to speak, is going to anoint for himself the one who is going to take them into the promised land, whose name just happens to be, I'm sure it's a coincidence, I'm just kidding, Yeshua. So when people say, if, if JC is the Messiah, how come his name is not in the Bible? There's no answer for that. His name is not in the Bible. His name is not even really in the English language, or, but that's, that's a whole other point. But whose name is actually in the Bible, not just the Bible, but the Torah? And the answer is Yeshua. So it's a, sometimes the most profound things, my friends, are right in front of our face. We don't have to get super spiritual with it. Very often, God makes the picture so plain, we couldn't miss it if we were riding by it at a gallop on a horse. And this is one of those examples. Who was the Redeemer that took us into the promised land? Yeshua. Is it any? I mean, think about how, I don't want to harp on it. Y'all are very intelligent. I just, to me, it's just so obvious. Therefore, I digress. It says, lean your hand on him. Verse 19, you shall stand him before Eliezer the Cohen and before the entire assembly and command him before their eyes. You shall place some of your majesty upon him so that the entire assembly of Klal Israel, of B'nai Israel, will pay heed. Ve'lifnei Eliezer ha'kohen ya'amod before Eliezer the Kohen, he shall stand, and you shall inquire of him of the judgment of the Urim before Adonai at his word shall they go. And then it says, out at his word shall they come in, he and all the children of Israel with him and the entire assembly. 
Moses did as Adonai commanded him. He took Yehoshua and stood him before Eliezer the Kohen. And before the entire assembly, he leaned his hands upon him and commanded him as Adonai had spoken through Moses. A lot of powerful stuff there. We have Moses who is, uh, as I just mentioned, anointing or laying his hands upon um, Yehoshua to bring him, or to make him rather, the, the leader of Israel. This is what's where the concept of smicha came from. So just a quick word on smicha, just a, a, a point of education. Very important. Very important. Okay, this point of education. Smicha is the laying on of hands. It is commonly, uh, commonly referred to in English terms as ordination. And it is ordination, but really it's, a, it's, a, it's quite a bit more than that. Uh, and so people who are, uh, they're former Christians, and they go from Christianity to Hebrew roots, or maybe to um, Messianic, one of those two uh, paths. And then as they get into Hebrew roots and Messianic, they, they, they start to study Jewish literature. Normally they don't have a rabbi, they're all by, by themselves. And they start reading and they start learning and they start getting on the internet and reading stuff and they, they get fanciful ideas. And one of the most common is that the idea that smika exists today. And I find this fascinating because um, it's a well-known fact in Judaism, Jewish thought. It's in the Encyclopedia Judaica, it's in, it's in historical documents, whatever, that smika has not existed for 2,000 years. It's very important because people get thrown off on this because they're led to believe that you can't be a, a rabbi today uh, unless you have been, you've had formal smika. What they don't realize is there hasn't been any rabbi since the fall of the Second Temple who has had formal smika, number one. Number two, it is impossible, it is impossible to have smika outside the land of Israel. It's impossible. You're not, you can't do it. First of all, you have to have, you'd have to have hands laid on you from a sage of the Sanhedrin, basically, and it would have to happen in Israel. And in Israel, meaning you can't do it today in Israel because there's no Sanhedrin, there's no temple, there's no authority to do that. And so there hasn't been smika, um, true smika, uh, in two in two thousand years. There just hasn't. There's been there have been movements in the Middle Ages to try to revive it, but they all failed, and it just hasn't happened. And even when I I was taking uh, classes in Dallas, at the um, uh, there's a, a, a Orthodox uh, program, teaching program in Dallas. And so a few years ago, I was taking a, a class there. And I, I asked this, just to be forthright, I asked a question to the rabbi who was teaching the class about it. And, he's, and he confirmed everything I said. Of course, I know what I'm telling you, you just have to trust me on this. But he was like, yeah, there's, there's been no such thing as that. Today, basically, when... Um, if a rabbi is a rabbi, sometimes they go to, very often I should say, they go to a yeshiva, they go to a school. But that's not even always the case. Um, there are uh, the Chabad rabbis, none of them have formal education like we would think of that. And basically what happens today, just so you know, as again, this is a point of education, is that every religious Jewish sect has their own school. 
just like Christianity. The Baptists have their school. The Pentecostals have their school. The Catholics have their school. The Methodists have their school. Everybody's got their own little school. And so people go to their schools of their own little sects, their own little, own little denominations. Nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's just the way the world is these days. And they get educated in the doctrine of that sect or that denomination. And they get a piece of paper that says, you know, you can be a teacher. And mo- that happens very often, but not, not always. Sometimes they just, uh, you know, they just get ordained. Sometimes they study, study under a pastor. Maybe sometimes they, they might study under a, um, a rabbi. And so the rabbi says, you know, this person is worthy of teaching or whatever. Sometimes they have formal education. Sometimes they don't. Um, there were th- at least three famous rabbis who had no formal education, no formal ordination, uh, and yet they were geniuses. And uh, and those three rabbis that I can top, name off the top of my head was uh, uh, the Baal Shem Tov, um, the Maharal of Prague, and the Hafez Um Those three guys, those three rabbis, uh, initiated incredible movements and yet had no formal education of any sort. And so <clears throat> I just want to make that a point of, uh, of knowledge for everybody because we have the entire Hasidic movement, which is a huge movement and has many sects in it today. Uh, and it was started by a gentleman who had absolutely no formal Jewish education whatsoever. So just the point that there's no smika, that's the main thing you need to know because for some reason that trips up a lot of people and um, the enemy uses that a lot of times to um, for no good. So I just wanted to point that out. All right. So point in fact here, there, oh yes, about the laws of inheritance. This is something I wanted to share from Rabbi Monk's commentary. Go along what I was saying yesterday about... Um, about the ladies and how Hashem views women and how equal rights exist for women and so on. So it says, you shall surely give them a possession of inheritance. So it says, the rationale of the laws regarding inheritance is discussed by Rambam in his Guide to the Perplexed. It says he points out that a moral person would not withhold doing good for someone worthy He would not be jealous of his natural heir as death neared. Therefore, he would not squander his fortune, but would leave it to the one most rightfully deserving. That would be his closest relative. Uh, Obviously, this would be his child. If not, if he didn't have any children, then his brother. If if he didn't have any any siblings or he didn't didn't have a brother, he'd give it to his uncle and his great uncle, etc. The point being here is, is everything we have on earth, this is a reminder that everything we have on earth is all temporal. Uh, no matter how wealthy you are, no matter how poor you are, we all go to the grave with the exact same possessions, if you will. I also want to just make a, a, a comment because, again, as a rabbi, I am very concerned about the flock. It's not just all about teaching. It's about practical living as well. And so here's a practical advice I would like to encourage you to do, and that is whomever you are, Please get life insurance. Please get life insurance and uh, for your for your family's sake, uh, because you never know what's going to happen. And I have seen people, unfortunately, who have passed away and they did not have life insurance, and their pa- uh, their families rather uh, suffered because they didn't have 
They didn't have uh, financial means. They, they were left without anything. And in some cases, it was the breadwinner who passed away. And that was a very, very hard. So just as a practical, we're talking about inheritance here, but I just want to throw that in, that if you haven't thought about getting life insurance before, I would very strongly encourage you to do so. Uh, because you just never know, and it's always a great blessing to be able to leave that to your loved ones and make sure that, that their lives are, uh, are helped. Baruch Hashem. The question is asked here, why does it say if a man does not have a son? Why? So the question is, is asked, why is it uh, formulated in the, in the negative? Why didn't it say if he has a son, the son shall inherit? Instead it, says, instead, it says if he doesn't have a son, it goes to the next relative. And I just love the expression here. I just wanted to share it. It says the answer is that we find one of the preferred modes of expression of the Torah from negative to positive, meaning from nothingness to existence. I really love that about, about the Torah because the Torah is just about that. It's about taking something that is nothing and turning it into, into something, into something that is extant. And so I just love that aspect. But going back to the daughters, this is the phrase I really wanted to get to uh, for sure. From Rabbi Monk's uh, commentary, as it says in the Hebrew, Veha'avartem et nechalato levito. You shall cause his inheritance to pass over to his daughters. So it says, it says, our sages remedy the situation of the daughters being dispossessed by selfish sons. The father can favor his daughters and his younger sons by gifts, even in the will, provided he does not do it as part of the inheritance. So right off the bat, when we're reading this Torah, this is why oral, again, again, this is why oral law in reading Jewish literature is so critical. Because if you read the Torah, you're like, it could leave the impression, let me put it this way, of someone saying, wow, uh, if, you have an, if you're a, a parent and you have an inheritance, you're supposed to leave it to your son. So wait a minute, what, suppose you have a son and a daughter. Maybe, you, let's say you have a son and two daughters. And uh, you're supposed to leave your inheritance to your son. What does that mean for your daughters? You can give them a little gift. You can give them a little a little ride in, but you know they don't get the the quote inheritance. That seems sexist. It seems like Judaism is uh, anti woman. This is horrible, and and we need we need to rise up, and we need a we need a uh, we need a, to reform it. We need to. Make sure that it's egalitarian and so on and whatever. That's what you think until you read the Mishnah, until you read the Talmud. And this is what the Talmud says about this. It's so wonderful. Listen to this. It says the sons are obligated to feed and provide for their sisters from the inheritance until they reach marriageable age. Why marriageable age? Because once they get married, it's the husband's responsibility, as I said yesterday, to feed them and to clothe them and take, take care of them. It's, it's on him now. But until they're of marriageable age, if the son inheritance, uh, receives an inheritance rather from the father, it's on him to, to take care of his sisters. And now it goes even further. It says he's to, he's to do this if the inheritance is large enough. All right. The, by the way, this is found in Baba Basra 8, 5, and 9, 1 in the Mishnah. But what if the inheritance is not large enough? What if you've got a son and two daughters, let's say, and there's not enough money to take care of everybody? He, he can't pay his mortgage, 
and pay their mortgage or their rent or whatever at the same time? What's he to do? This is the Jewish answer. If it's not large enough, it's not a big enough inheritance, it goes exclusively to provide for the daughters, even if their brother or brothers have to beg for themselves. That's what I was talking about yesterday. That's the beautiful thing. You can say, well, it goes, to, it goes to the boys, and that's not fair. Yes, but what you don't know, because you haven't read the oral Torah, you haven't read that, that, that dastardly Talmud, is that the boy gets the, the son, rather, gets the uh, money and says, all right, there's not enough money here. So you know what that means? It means I've got to take care of sis until she can find a husband. Which also means that he runs out and gets her on all the, dedi- the, the Jewish dating sites and everything. <laughs> uh, he gets her on uh, findajewishhusband.com. Now, uh, Shlomo yesterday after the Aliyah said something that was so wonderful because he heard me talking about the fact that men read from the Torah and that's the men responsibility and, and et cetera, et cetera. And so he said something very, very simple and very profound. He said, you know why men read from the Torah, really? And I was like, well, tell me why. He said, because uh, the man is supposed to read the ketubah to the woman. And since the Torah is a ketubah, it makes sense that a man should, should rise up and go to the bima and read the ketubah. And the ketubah, of course, is the marriage contract between a man and a woman. And I just think that is a, a phenomenal, uh, amazing insight. One last insight as we, con- as we conclude today. And uh, this is just something, uh, there's a discussion here about Moses and seeing the land and focusing on what, he, what he's not uh, able to have, and there's a whole discussion in Rabbi Monks, but there's one statement about the seed seed I just wanted to mention. It says, while it is physically impossible to fulfill all the commandments, at least we can contemplate the seed seat and thus keep them firmly in mind. I just love that statement. I wanted to share it as we close today because it's another example of the beauty and the power of the seat seat that we wear in our garments. That there are, there are commandments we're not able to keep. It's impossible, in fact, to keep them because we just don't have the capability to do so. doesn't mean that they don't exist. It just means that we don't have the ability to do it. But as we gaze upon the seat seat, we can gaze, as it were, into the commandments, and therefore keep them close to mind and close to our heart. End of our Aliyah today. Thank you so much. I really mean it for being with us today. I bless you. I hope you have a fantastic day. I hope that uh, Hashem should just continue to inspire you and to encourage you. If you like this teaching, please click the little like button and please share it with your friends and let's uh, let, let Hashem, I should say, use that to gather in more and more holy sparks. Shalom and blessings. With God's help, we'll see you tomorrow.